This is the Rank Guys Podcast. So get ready for a show that's un- unapologetically authentic, refreshingly candid, and delightfully unpredictable. But always right. The Right, by- the right Guys Podcast starts right now. Welcome back to another edition of the Right Guys Podcast. As always, my name is Max McGuire. I am Josh Hammerling and the music. I just hate this button. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll figure it out. Welcome back to another episode. Um, today, we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to our heart, uh, mm. and that is the Second Amendment. And Josh, uh, since we've both been out in the world on our own, outside of our old gig, you have become... Yes. A bit of a subject matter expert as well. I mean, you were, but now you're actually working in the industry. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. Doing self-defense training. Absolutely. I've got a integrated defense strategies uh, level one certification. I'll have 2.5 in September. And imagine it's like gunfighting, you know, how to grapple with a gun is the best way to put it. And I'm also an NRA certified NRA instructor. So I can teach CCW here in Colorado, rmsdf.com. There's the free cha-ching for John Hallett, the guy that runs the school over there, great guy. When you ever come out here, you're going to a class. And, uh, you know, very soon I'll be able to teach the uh, NRA instructor level or uh, teacher level. That way others can learn the same thing. So I spent my time just trying to get better with my my pistol craft and self-defense. And the more and more I have a pistol, the more and more I think to myself, can I leave this brace on it? And <laughs> as you know, we talked earlier, I destroyed every brace I had. You can't. I am I technically covered as a member of a couple of different organizations. I am covered by a current uh, injunction in place by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals since I live in Texas. Um, that's what's ridiculous about all of this, Josh. Um, it, it's unconstitutional. The solution that they they gave you was that you should destroy the pistol braces. Since I'm covered, I'll go ahead and show you mine. This is what I'm covered. Brace I got small man. Yeah, this is the pistol brace. It's designed to, uh, this is a very nice gun with a nice pistol. Really it's, yeah. it, it's designed to basically rest against your arm so you can fire a heavier pistol one-handed. Because as, as federal law states, a pistol is supposed to be fired one-handed, which if you take those courses, they tell you don't really fire one-handed unless you have to. But the law is different. And the brace is designed to wrap around your arm, to press against your arm, so that uh, you kind of have a, a pivot point to to handle that recoil handle that weight of the of the barrel yeah and i'm allowed to have it pending the fifth circuit's ruling which could come down any day now um Mm -hmm. actually i have to teach my wife how to take it off in a pinch if that ruling does come down because they don't give you any time it's why i Um, took everything off i got rid of it um so they gave you a couple options you could either register it with the government which kind of defeats the purpose i would have Um, to register anything and and i have a i have a an NF, I have a trust, so it, it's it, and it's a trust that predates the rules where you had to get fingerprinted. So if I want to put anything else in my trust, I would have to get fingerprinting. It's just a, a nightmare. Um, so I got lucky enough that this injunction came down before the the end. But the other one was you could give it to them, the whole gun, kit and caboodle, or you could destroy it, which is ridiculous because what I did. Yeah. they've declared that that is a stock. So you could have theoretically put your braces on other guns, no problem. I have a, I was telling you earlier, I have a box full of stocks that I just buy on on sale, or when I replace one, I I don't throw it out, I keep it for a new build. Um, They made you destroy it. Mm -hmm. And now it might be ruled unconstitutional, and you can't destroy it. Because those things aren't cheap, even if you find them on sale. They're not cheap. 
and I spent some money. So I'm a little upset about this ruling. One of the things I want to throw out there is uh, being a pistol instructor, I've had to train somebody in a wheelchair how to fire a pistol. All right. And one of the classes was a self-defense version of that, how to grapple inside of a chair. Just being able to get someone in a wheelchair to be able to stabilize is difficult enough. And one of my people that was training with me said, I've actually used a brace just to be able to shoot because, yeah. I mean, they even had some issues with their left side. So they wouldn't even be able to enjoy their Second Amendment right if it wasn't for that brace. But it's a stock. So if he goes out and he wants to exercise his right to defend himself or just shoot the shooting sports because they're fun and we love them and enjoy them. He can't do it as effectively, right? And that, that, that affects things like safety. That affects his ability to, to protect himself in a really difficult situation. If and anybody who has taught a class, if you can fire a gun one-handed, more power to you. I practice it all the time. It's the hardest yeah. thing I've ever done. You need two hands to do it. In fact, NRA teaches you that it is safe to use both hands. What police organization doesn't use the weaver stance? Two hands on the gun. You're saying you don't you don't shoot sideways with the gun above you and 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 actually push the bullets out? No, but I will point it behind <laughs> me and do a nice uh, <laughs> not a pivoting draw, but a, a flanking draw and shoot on the run if I had to. I could teach you that one, but no, it's, not it's interesting. I don't want to do that, right? <laughs> uh, it's a joke because that's what the uh, that's what the inner city folks do. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that you had someone in your class who was disabled because that is what these pistol braces were originally designed for to help disabled um, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans get back into the shooting sports where they might have one arm, they might be missing a hand, right? Or, or they, they might have nerve damage in their arm where they need a little help. And that's where this started. It started as a way to help those disabled veterans get back into shooting sports. It was approved for that. And then everyone started using it. And then the ATF came down on it and said, no, well, you're actually trying to create an illegal short-bowed rifle. And then the solution is to destroy it. And yeah, you can't get yours back. I'm still salty about my bump stock because mm -hmm. I, I, I destroyed my bump stock. And yeah, that, got, that got overturned. Bump stocks are, are back in business now. And that I didn't know. See, see, yeah, really? It, it, <laughs> it, got, it got over, to, at least in my area. I don't know if it's- I was going to say, I think Colorado's uh, happy on that one. No, I love the I love the Fifth Circuit, but the other side of it. Not only can I not get my uh, accessory back, not only can you not get your brace back, but the companies that built them were for, many of them were forced out of business by this regulation. Like there aren't brace manufacturers anymore. Sure, some companies probably still have the molds, but the companies that were yeah. built up around just making pistol braces, they're done. There, yeah, many of them are not yeah. around anymore. They they literally sent their stock. Their, their inventory to go get destroyed. And now it's going to come down that you're allowed to own them again. Where's the, where's the recourse for all those who suffered that harm from that unconstitutional action? It's really disgusting. And, and we see it also. Well, I, 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 the other part of the, before we get off of the brace, you have to talk about the reason for it. And they, they say, oh, well, you're trying to create an illegal short bowed rifle. I want to let everyone see what Joe Biden says the reason for it is, because this is cut two. Joe Biden says that if you put a brace on your firearm, that turns your firearm into a gun. I kid you not. It's harder for people to buy stabilized braces 
put a pistol on a brace, it may, turns into a gun. Makes it more, you can have a higher caliber weapon, a higher caliber bullet coming out of that gun. So let's break it down. And, I, <laughs> and kudos, <laughs> laugh at that. <laughs> kudos to the sign language interpreter who just yeah. had to actually say that if you put a brace on a gun, it turns it into a gun because she used the same words for each. Um, yeah. She had to say that and with a quasi straight face. Did you know that, Josh, that if you put a brace on your pistol, it turns your pistol into a gun? Did you know that? I, I didn't. I was, I was, there was so much in that statement. I was like, wow. So if I just put attachments on this gun, it changes you know, not only the definition, but the overall performance of it, too. It also I changes mean, the caliber. It changes the barrel. It changes the, the throat. Can I get the 50 right? cal brace? I mean, is there one that takes it up to a half-inch bullet? Yeah. Who would have known that it actually increases chamber size? I, I, I had no idea. And and when was it not a gun and it was a pistol? And when is a pistol a gun? Josh, it turns guns into guns. Don't question it. Well, hold it. on. Wait, it turns. Don't question it. <laughs> Don't you go Joe Biden on me. <laughs> You're doing that thinking again, that unconstitutional I, I am. I'm just, thinking. I'm just, there's so much I'm trying to, to unpack there because I was... If I knew that there was a brace out there that could take my caliber up, I would have spent even more money. I might have not destroyed them at that point. But forget wow. forget about forget about changing the barrel. Mm-hmm. Forget about changing the slide if it's a pistol. Yeah. Forget about changing the the chamber and the magazine. All you got to so, do is change the attachment on the back of it, and it, and it turns it into a gun. Gun turns into a gun. It's it's fantastic. But you know what this reminded me of, Josh? No. Mm-mm. One of my favorite Tucker Carlson clips actually predates anything he did at Fox News. And it's when he was at MSNBC and he got a chance to interview one of the authors of the assault weapon ban. Mm -hmm. And he asked her a very simple question at the time. Your bill wants to ban barrel shrouds. What is a barrel shroud? And her answer in cut three will live in infamy. Because she said it was the shoulder thing that goes up. Let's go ahead and play. In that February, you introduced the Assault Weapons Ban and Law Enforcement Protection Act of 2007. It would regulate semi-automatic assault weapons, including weapons that have pistol grips, a forward grip, and something called a barrel shroud. Weapons with a barrel shroud would be regulated. What's a barrel shroud, and why should we regulate it? I think. I think the more important thing is that it also would have had banned the large capacity clips right. that Colin Ferguson had but used I, and also uh, the killer. Okay. But I, I, read the, I read about, the legislation, I'm sorry, I read the legislation and it said that it would regulate barrel shrouds. What's a barrel shroud and why should we regulate that? The guns that were chosen back in, uh, in those days were basically the guns Keeps that going. most gangs and criminals were using to kill our, our police okay. officers. I'm not she saying answered. it was the best I mean, bet, has she answered? But that okay. was the best bill they could get out at that particular is? time. I actually don't know what a barrel oh, shot okay. is. I think it's, in it's your a shoulder thing that goes up. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. No. I think it's the barrel. It's, not. it's the shoulder thing that goes up. No, no, it's not. So I love that clip because it illustrates that the people who are banning these guns based on what you can put on them don't actually know what they're banning. These are industry written pieces of legislation written by the gun control industry, gun control advocates, and they have no idea what's actually going in. So when Joe Biden says that a pistol brace turns a gun into a gun, turns a firearm into a gun, a pistol into a gun, he didn't just mess it up. That's what he thinks. <laughs> he has no yeah, idea what he just knows. 
right? That that that's insane. I mean, it, at what point does somebody just hand you legislation and you just go push it? Does anybody read these things before they they really do them? Because that that is the scariest thing I saw there. Right? Is that they were just pushing some sort of agenda and they had no clue what they're talking about, and then. I think they, they thrive on that, right? Because they think we just assume, you know, they sound dumb. There's no way they would do it, but they push it anyway. And we just, for the most part, it always ends up happening. It's driving me crazy. Yeah. Rail shroud just, you know, it'll help lengthen a short barrel. You can you can tap and, and um, weld on a barrel, barrel shroud to allow it to meet a certain length. Yeah. So it remains, quote, legal, at least at the time, right? And then things have changed a bit but then but that's how you get a, a gun or at least a gun a rifle or whatever you want to call it the nomenclature to get to the link that would make it quote legal I really hate that i gotta yeah. say things like a short barrel's illegal it's just a short barrel man yeah. yeah yeah it's not and and this is the crazy thing and i write about this actually a little plug oh, i comes. write about this here in comes. my book conservative's guide to winning every gun control argument available on Amazon. I think this one's on Barnes & Noble. I write about it because I had to read a lot of the actual debate about going into the National Firearms Act, the law that banned machine guns and short-bailed rifles. And when that was originally written, the way it was drafted, it also included handguns. So Mm. it banned handguns. The The law was supposed to go after explosives, Machine guns and handguns. And the reason that they had, they wrote into it short bowed rifles and short bowed shotguns is because they didn't want people to have a workaround to get to basically a handgun. Oh, you can't have a handgun, but you can take a rifle and chop the barrel off. That's essentially a handgun. Well, after negotiations, the handguns got removed from that legislation, but they never removed the SBR and the SBS, the short bowed rifle, short bowed shotguns. So the only reason they're in there is because the, the drafters hated pistols. And wanted to make sure you had no loophole to get a pistol. But they stayed in there. And now the Supreme Court has ruled that you have the constitutional right to own a handgun. So presumably, you also have the constitutional right to own a gun that functions like a handgun. And the only reason it's it's banned or heavily restricted is the people who also wanted to ban handguns. So it, it's all this circular logic. And yeah. it makes no sense. And it shouldn't stand. But it's been allowed to stand up until now. And... Yeah, no, there's no legitimate reason to force someone to pay $200 to register uh, a rifle because the barrel length is 14 and a half inches instead of 16 inches. It doesn't actually make sense. And the worst part, before we get onto the ghost guns, the worst part about this pistol brace ruling is that the ATF changed its mind half a dozen times on this. Yeah. So if this is just one of the letters, and if you bought a pistol brace, it came with a letter from the ATF saying this device is legal or this device or devices like it are legal to use as pistol braces. They changed their mind. First, they said it was legal to own. Then they said it wasn't legal. to own. Then they said it was legal. to own. Then they said you could own it. But if you put it against your shoulder, that makes it illegal to own. Yeah. <laughs> illegal to use. Someone actually, Josh, I'm not going to show a video because this is a kid's show as we know. Um, someone actually did attach an adult toy to one of their pistol braces and asked the ATF it would, if it would be considered shouldering the gun if they use this certain adult toy to shoulder. The ATF refused to answer, but it, it brings the question of what constitutes shouldering. Does it matter if I push it here? Does it matter if I push it in my stomach or a little bit lower? What does it matter? Then they undid that and said, no, you can have braces again. And now this new one 
um, no braces allowed. So they've changed their mind like over half a dozen times in the last decade. That's no way to live, Josh. That's no way to live. People who want to follow the law, they don't know what the law is because the interpretation of it keeps changing. Yeah. I don't know when I'm in violation. So the, the effort is to make sure that I never buy anything like that again. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I have it. Their effort is to make sure I can't have it again. So they're going, that's why I think that they keep changing the goal, like moving the goalposts on this, right? They make a decision, we follow it, then it comes back wrong. Then we have to change everything we do. Then they, they make, they accept it again. So people buy a whole bunch of them and it turns a bunch of us into criminals overnight. I mean, I'm not a criminal, but if I was to have that on here in Colorado and I got busted with one of those, I might be cited now because Colorado is not a friendly state. No, used to be a red state, but then something horrible so they happened. Have, well, I, I left. That's what happened. I left, yeah. and now everything passes by one vote. <laughs> a lot and of druggies, really a lot nice, of liberals coming in. I had a great pistol brace that worked for a P320. It was a very expensive piece. The company only put them out once in a while, so you know they were worth money just mm-hmm. by virtue of them being scarce, and I destroyed it. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. That was... Yeah. I'm a little bitter, but again, the effort is just to make sure you never get them again. We want to scare you so yeah. bad that you're yeah. exercising your rights that even by virtue of exercising them, you could be guilty of a felony. I mean, what's yes. that going to apply to later? It's important to remember. These are all felonies we're talking about Yeah, for to be caught with a pistol brace when you're not allowed to have it, unless you're covered by this injunction or any of the other injunctions floating around. I think there's also one in like North Dakota, unless you're covered by these injunctions, it's a felony. It's the equivalent of you owning an illegal rocket launcher, right? Yeah. Like if, if you owned like a grenade and, and like a live grenade intentionally or a machine gun, it's the same charge. And they, mm-hmm. and they sold these with letters from the ATF saying you're allowed to own it. Yeah. The other thing that's coming down that Joe Biden's not happy about is his attempt to ban so-called ghost guns. Now, a ghost gun is just a DIY firearm. And I, I, let's not even use that. Let's just call them 80s, 80% lowers, homemade guns. Ghost gun is a, is a term of, of the left. What you're allowed to do. Yeah. This country was founded on homemade firearms. We would not have won the American Revolution had it not been for underground blacksmiths um, and gunsmiths making these weapons. They, they were making franking guns, taking mm-hmm. apart from the French, apart from the British, apart from the Americans, making their own stocks. We would not have had weapons because the British went after all of our legitimate armories, all of our legitimate gunsmiths. So ever since there's been a country, you've been allowed to build your own firearms. Joe Biden just yeah. tried to shut that down. And I, I, we have a clip. We can play a little bit of it. This is cut yeah. one. The gun lobby tried to tie up the regulators and paperwork for a long, long time. The NRA called this rule, I'm about to announce, extreme. Let me ask you, is it extreme to protect police officers, extreme to protect (sighs) our children, extreme to keep guns out of the hands of people who couldn't even pass a background check? Look, the idea that someone on the terrorist list could purchase one of these guns is extreme. It isn't extreme, just basic common sense. You know, slow clap, like everybody's like, yeah. Oh. If you buy a couch you have to assemble, it's still a couch. If you order a package like this one over here, 
that includes the parts you need to direct them to assembling a functioning farm, you bought a gun. Take a look. I, mean, we, I thought he was wandering off. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to get a little weird. So, in a sense, it's not an unfair argument that at some point it has to be considered a gun. And if you buy, if you buy all the parts and you can just put them together really easy, you've bought a gun, right? But what if you buy the stuffing? What if you buy the leather? What if you buy the two by threes? What if you buy the screws? What if you buy the, the leg mechanism, the springs and you build that? Well, you didn't buy a couch. You bought the parts and you, you through the act of actual construction built a couch. So at some point, what you buy isn't a couch and it's a part. You can't just regulate everything. Otherwise, you'd be regulating just aluminum blocks. You say, oh, that's a gun. There's a gun in there. There's a famous, mm-hmm. I, I believe it was Michelangelo when he was making the David. Um, they asked him, how do, you, how do you know what to remove, right? How do you know what to carve? And the way he described it, he said, well, the David's already in there. I just have to take off all the pieces that, that aren't the sculpture. And so imagine if that's how we looked at firearm law that anything metal is a gun because technically you could turn it into a gun. It doesn't work like that, right? So mm-hmm. what Biden tried to ban, and this got shot down today, I believe in the, also in the glorious Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. <laughs> you got to come here. Move here. I mean, I love the Fifth. I mean, don't join the Ninth here. <laughs> move, move here. Uh, it's this. This is made by Polymer 80. And so in here... There is a plastic piece that looks like a gun, but legally it isn't a gun. In order to make it a gun, you have to do a certain amount of machining to it. So you have to drill a certain number of holes and you actually have to take a Dremel and see if I can get this on and see that little tab up there, those black tabs, you have to cut Mm -hmm. those out. So it's easy. It's also really easy to mess it up and be done. The The minute you slip and you cut a little bit too much, it doesn't work anymore, right? So originally they said, okay, well, we're going to ban these. You can't have them anymore. So the way that what the firearm industry said is, okay, we will sell you this part. And then we'll also sell you this part separately. <laughs> that was compliant for a little bit. That yeah. was compliant. And then they said, no, no, no. Can't sell them both. So then they said, okay, we'll only sell one. One company will sell this. And then you have to go to a different company and pay shipping to buy this. And that worked for a while. And then the ATF said, no, 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 can't do that either. So then they said, okay, you got to cut off more. You need to, it's going to require you to cut off even more. So then they just came up with a new design that you could yeah. still make in an hour or two if you have the parts. And yeah, you're, you'll mess it up, sure. But uh, luckily that Uh-oh. never had to go into production because now we have this ruling um, protecting it. So they're allowed to be sold again. It's, it's, inc- it's incredible because I understand what he's saying, that if someone's not allowed to own a gun, they shouldn't be allowed to build one. Problem is they're not allowed to build one, right? Because the minute it turns into a gun, they're committing a felony. Making it super secret, double illegal, doesn't stop people from Ooh, building right. these guns. Same argument you were saying before. So I, I, I bear witness to a gunsmith that was interviewing for a job they handed a gun and said, I've made this, or at least they presented it. So they had to mill that from a block of stainless, right? They had to do all the work. And that block became a, a piece of 
art essentially that they created. It was a gun. So what's to stop me from buying? I mean, if I just buy the pieces to make that gun from someone else, it's still me manufacturing. It's still yeah. coming from something. It's still my artistic expression because what, you know, what if that's my, my thing, right? I mean, everybody wants to believe in a little bit of art and I want to put a little bit into my gun, you know, and I made it myself. What if, what about the person that doesn't want people to know, or at least a good, any sort of, God forbid, there's some sort of registration act that forces people to register their guns. This would be the only way to not have a, a government agency, a corrupt government, come after you just by owning a, a gun, right? I mean, it, yeah. if, if you're not a felon, where in the Constitution does it say that if you commit a felony, you can't own a gun or you can't vote? Has that been challenged? Um, it's gonna, it's gonna be because the, the latest Supreme court case of New York state rifle and pistol association V Bruin yeah. says that in order for gun control to be constitutional, it has to basically mimic a restriction that was in place at either the time of the founding or the time that the 14th amendment was ratified. So unless you can point to, to a similar gun restriction at the time, you can't just in, invent new, new restrictions. New, new restrictions. And I, I, I can, I'm not a gunsmith in any way, shape, or form. But I did, I built this. Yeah. Um, this wasn't a gun. And I used this little kit, same kind of kit. I drilled all the parts, and I bought the parts, and I made a gun. And, you did the work. And I'll tell you, yeah, I did the work. And I messed up once. I had to do it a couple times. Um, but it gives me a newfound respect for the firearm and a new understanding beyond my, my already working knowledge of how it works because it, it didn't really function well right out of the box. I had to take a file and actually file down these rails to get them to fit. I'm really happy with this. This runs smoother than some of the other guns that are claimed to be perfectly fitted uh, because I spent, I spent a couple of days just really filing it down to it was perfect. Right. right? Um, so you have the right to know how to fix your gun. You have, the, you have the right to know how to build your gun and you have the right to keep them in your arms. There's no requirement in the constitution that says you have to purchase that gun through regulated commerce, right? If I want to go out into the woods and fashion myself a wooden spear, that's an arm, right? That's an arm that I'm allowed to own. I didn't, yeah. I don't lose my right because it doesn't have a, a, a UPC or a, <laughs> a barcode attached, serial code, yeah. right? I don't have right. a proof of purchase. But that's what they want, as you said, because they can regulate it. And right. God forbid we come to a point where they start kicking down the door, confiscating Americans' guns. They want to get rid of homemade guns because as long as you're allowed to build your own gun, you can, one, resist. Mm -hmm. And two, they'll never actually know where all the firearms are. Correct. It gets worse, though, Josh, because yeah. they're not just going after the guns themselves. They're actually going after the knowledge of how to build a gun. This is, a, this is an article I wrote a while ago. It's on, up on The Federalist. I was a best-selling author in the Amazon, the Amazon online ebook education section. And Absolutely. what I did is I took the code. The, it's called G-Code, the, the STL file, the file that you need to 3D print a gun. And I took that file and I put it into a text editor and I turned it into the underlying text, just gibberish. It means nothing unless you're a computer that can read it. Yeah. And then I published it as an ebook and I sold hundreds of copies. Right. <laughs> hundreds of copies. It's a public domain, right? Hundreds of copies. Then they banned it. They said yeah. it, was, uh, it was dangerous. 
Well, that's just information, right? It's information. Mm-hmm. It's just a blueprint telling the machine where to where to extrude plastic, right? The opposite would be a, a code telling a machine, a CNC machine, where to cut metal out, right? But it makes me wonder if they can ban that. If they can ban that information, then they can ban gunsmithing schools. And they, they can, can also yeah. ban this. Oh, no. Oh, the illustrated no. book of guns. If you look at these guns, you know what they look like. You can build them. Bullshit. So this is where, right. this is where your, your Second Amendment rights kind of mesh with your First Amendment First rights. First Amendment rights. Because, yeah, it, gunsmiths will call this art, right? Absolutely. And they, Absolutely. it's a trade. It's a legitimate trade. Mm-hmm. They're artisans. And this ban absolutely, absolutely meshes the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. I get fired up on it, mainly because my book was taken down and I was making a little bit of money on it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember the day they did that. I mean, we were on a, converse, a call and you were like, can you believe these guys? They're just yeah. banning information. Yeah. You know, the, the whole platform, the whole left liberal platform is all about making sure that free thought information goes out, which is not the case. We know that. And then you put that out there and it goes down. And I mean, there's is there harm there? That'd be my first well, question. They said you... they said it was harmful. They said it was harmful. So if you were to push back on that, with, I mean, you got a lawyer. I mean, would there would there be a thing there? Yeah, there there probably would. But ultimately, Amazon can stop publishing whatever yeah. they want to stop publishing. Right? right? They're um, private private where, company. Where it got more technical is the people who are designing these three D printed gun files. They were being targeted by the state department and by mm. the treasury department because they were arguing that the minute you put this design file online you are actually exporting firearms without a license right no so they on. basically said you were doing this if you had gone to a gun store bought a gun put it in a box and sent it to somalia to some pirates that yeah. would be the same as putting a 3d printed gun file on the internet because those somalian pirates could download that file and make their own gun most people around the world wouldn't even know what it is. They wouldn't even have the know-how. That was the argument. Most Americans wouldn't even, would have no clue what you're talking about. Yeah. That's that's just the wild stuff. And that's where we get into the illustrated book of guns. Is that, is that too much? Where's the line? I've got a copy. I've I've got a few versions. (laughs) Where's the line, right? Where is the line on what constitutes a gun? There has to be a line and the line can't move every couple of months. It's either a gun or it isn't. And the idea, um, I actually have a, a really good, this is, if I'll put it on my screen. This came from the Fifth Circuit. Um, Vanderstock v. Garland, this case oh. challenging the, the the ghost gun ban. I want to read a bit. for the audience? Yeah. yeah, read a bit for the audience. Yeah, yeah. Because, because the ATF, oh, you, you can read it. Oh, I was going to do it, but no, if you, you want to, no, I'll you got a good reading right. voice. You got I do. I like to do this. Is, this is fun. Because the ATF has not demonstrated a strong likelihood of success on the merits, nor the irre- irreparable harm in the absence of a stay, we deny the government's request to stay the vacateur of the two challenged portions of the rule. This effectively maintains pending appeal, the status quo that existed for 54 years from 1968. To 2022. So they're kind of sending a message right at the end of that that yeah. statement there, like a status quo. They're establishing a long history of that stuff happening. And, and that right there should yeah. toss it because you can't point to a law at the time of the founding or when the 14th Amendment was ratified that justifies this. 
and the the application that the government put in to have a stay to basically say that no let us keep violating the second amendment and making it illegal to build your own guns the reasoning that the atf gave was they said it would be too much of a hassle for atf agents to have to call up all the gun stores again and explain to them what the law is now so they said because we already told these gun stores that it's illegal to sell these kits or to make these kits, it would just be too much of a hassle. So just let us continue violating their rights. And what this court said is no, um, that is not irreparable harm. Forcing your agents to pick up the phone and call a gun store and say, hey, go back to the way it was for the last 54 years, that's not irreparable harm. That's not how it works. That is their essential function would be to do that. In fact, they should print it, email it, and then post it on their website so that everyone would understand. So you could go and look for it somewhere, right? That is their function. That is their job. Another federal agency, which I think has reached its its uh, its time for extinction, would be the best yeah. way to put it. I, I think that the ATF has probably done more harm than it ever has done good. And I mean, what if I'm a builder? Can I build a short barrel rifle? What happens if I just make a rifle that just happens to be short and it was never manufactured or no? If you, make, is, is if you, if you make one, if you make one, it's a crime. Yeah, you have to, you have to. Uh, it's either form one or four, form. I think it's form one, form, form one or form three. It um, or three. Uh, so yeah, you ha- you have to actually get in for that permission. You're not allowed to put pieces together unless they give you that permission, and you have to pay two hundred bucks for the privilege. So anybody that had been popped on a crime like that, they made a gun and they went to jail for it, would they then have standing based on some of these rulings that are going to come out, right? That's where this really gets sticky. And when you look at the Supreme Court case law that upheld the the restrictions on things like short-barreled rifles, um, the case that it actually dealt with, the, the defendant who was charged with this, he was dead before the Supreme Court issued their ruling. And his lawyer never showed up to the case for oral arguments because this was back in the, in the early uh, 20th century, early yeah. to mid 20th century, where they're like, hey, we can't just travel across country. So it was just the government there telling the Supreme Court that there's no militia purpose to have a short barreled rifle, which at the time was still a lie because you had yeah. trench guns. You had trench guns that had shorter barrels, um, M1 carbines, had shorter barrels. So oh, you, yeah. you had lots of guns that had shorter barrels, but they lied to the government and there was no one there to argue the opposite. And then that just became case law. Um, so it, it, it's a shame. It, it, it's, it's a shame. Hopefully with some of these cases challenging the pistol brace, challenging the 80% lower rule, hopefully um, we can, we start making some ground because with uh, New York state rifle and pistol association v Bruin, we have that foundation to do it. We have one more case we want to talk about, but before we do, if you want to support the channel, please go to prepsos.com, prepsos.com. Use promo code MAX. You get 5% off, and a portion of your sale will help. Will go towards us, so it helps us keep the lights on, as it were. Lots of great things, survival food, um, this, life straws. You can get those there. Love this those. is great. God forbid an emergency where you need to drink water. There is a really good carbon filter in this. So you can put it in a stream, put it in a river. You could drink out of it. Um, Ultimately, you want to get to a a fresher source, but this will keep you alive. God forbid in one of those emergencies. So head on over to prepsos.com. Get prepared, get your family prepared and use promo code max 
to get 5% off and help support the channel. Okay, this last bit that we wanted to get to, Josh. Yeah. This case, United States v. Rahimi. Yeah. This is what every town for gun safety is calling it. It's calling it the Fifth Circuit, again, it's my Fifth Circuit, Fifth Circuit. Do you know why all these cases, by the way, are going to the Fifth Circuit? I would say a more sympathetic court. So in Amarillo, Texas, Mm -hmm. the way that Texas's rules work, depending on where you file your lawsuit, will determine what judge you get. And in Amarillo, in the Northern District of Texas, if you file a lawsuit there, your odds of getting an extremely conservative judge, it's like 99%. (laughs) (laughs) It goes up. It's practically 100. So all these cases are the same judges over and over and over again. So it's a bit of forum shopping, but the left does it too with the Ninth Circuit all the time. All the time. So this is what every town for gun safety, which is Michael Bloomberg's gun control outfit, says that it's an extreme dangerous decision. A three-judge oh, panel crap. of the Federal Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the federal prohibition on gun possession for people subject to domestic violence restraining orders is unconstitutional under the Second Amendment. So here's the story. There's this guy, Rahimi. By all descriptions, he sounds like a bad hombre, as Trump would call him. Bad hombre. He sounds like a gangbanger. He is suspected to be involved in numerous shootings. But what took him down, ultimately, was he was accused of domestic violence by his, I believe, girlfriend or significant other at the time. He was accused of knocking her to the ground in a parking lot and dragging her by the hair, I believe is is the fact pattern. The girlfriend, the significant other, went to court and with the help of the prosecutors got a domestic violence restraining order against him. All that means is they convinced a judge, based on the preponderance of the evidence, 50.1% chance of of being true, that he was a domestic abuser. And the minute that happened, he became a prohibited person under federal law, couldn't own a gun. Well, he's arrested down the line in possession of a gun. So they charge him with illegally having that gun because he was under a domestic violence protection prevention order. What this lawsuit challenges is the entire concept of the government being able to suspend someone's God-given natural right to self-defense simply because they are accused of a crime but never actually charged or convicted of it. So yes, he's a bad hombre. I think if we had our way, we would have a, a much more sympathetic defendant or plaintiff in this case, right? We have a much more sympathetic spearhead for this. But at the end of the day, if the government suspects him of committing a crime, suspects him of being a gangbanger, they have the obligation to charge him with those crimes, hold him without bail, and then the problem solves itself. Am I missing something, Josh? Well, you, you defined it succinctly. What I'm thinking is, what if I was living in a state where if I just wanted to get a divorce, they automatically issue a protective order, Okay. And there's never been a history of violence whatsoever. And that would, in, in that circumstance, that person would be in violation of an arbitrary law and they could be arrested for it and face a felony charge just by virtue of you know, a, 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 a dissolution of marriage. Happens a lot in the US. We know it happens a lot. It does. That would, I mean, like one out of every four or something like that or ends up in divorce now. 
So that anybody that lived in that area would be an immediate criminal. I mean, what if, you know, your marriage is going south anyway, and they decide just to, you know, register that in a state where they know you're going to get busted. The, 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 the person could do whatever they want, right? They, I mean, to really screw you. And it's, then that, it, it's really easy because it's just an allegation. Yeah. I know there's people, no proof. I know people who have gone through messy divorces and all it takes is the other is the, the woman in that relationship. I'm sure it happens for men accusing women sure. of, of, of false abuse, but it's incredibly common for a woman to accuse her soon to be ex-husband of abuse and what the court does in that situation is say listen until we figure it all out no guns right i actually know someone who had that happen to them they never did anything wrong but then in order to punish them even more the court gave the guns to the wife in the settlement so that she could sell them said listen we haven't proven it but i don't trust you with them i'm going to award them to her in this in in the actual uh divorce settlement crazy crazy stuff wild but you don't actually have to prove that someone is violent. A domestic violence restraining order, a red flag law, like what you have in Colorado. It just requires an allegation, an unsubstantiated yes. allegation, without any indictment, without any criminal charges. And instead of in criminal court, where someone has to be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt before a jury of their peers, instead of being found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, red flag laws... Uh, these prevention orders, they use a much lower standard of evidence called preponderance of the evidence. That's what they basically use for like civil cases. But all of it means is that if you flipped a coin a hundred times, at least 51 times, it would come up that you're dangerous, right? Just a little bit more than 50, 50 odds. Yeah. That's all you do. If you can convince a judge that it's a little bit more than 50-50 odds that someone's dangerous, you can get one of these orders. And then they lose their right to keep their arms. They lose their right to self-defense, depending on the state, for different durations. But with these domestic violence orders, indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah, and if you get popped in a traffic stop and you happen to have a gun on you and you come up in their system, you get a felony. Now you lose your right to vote. Yeah. I mean, getting a job is going to be horrible. I mean, your, your life falls apart because somebody said something that may not be yeah. true, right? Or just by chance and happenstance. And the Colorado law now, the red flag, if we're going to kind of get onto this, has gone onto steroids. There was There's two bills that they are um, trying to get through the House now, I think it is. It was SB 23168, and the other one is SB 23170. 170 is the Extreme Risk Protection Order Petition. So... Um, under current law, a family household member or law enforcement officer agency can petition an extreme risk order. This bill expands it. All right. Imagine you live in Colorado and now a licensed medical care provider, a licensed mental health care provider, a licensed educator, which we all know how teachers are, and district attorneys. So the last one's the scariest. But the first one, let's say your pharmacist sees you mm-hmm. and they think that you're a danger they can get a protective order on you now. So you could be rude to your pharmacist. They just don't like you. Well, that's a licensed medical care provider. They could just initiate the red flag. Now, maybe the judge throws it out on the evidence. And I don't know if there's anything that will come against the person, like if they violate anything. And then a district attorney? This that's is the person ridiculous. who has his, his like the hands on the, the, the yeah. very wheel of law in your state. And they can just pop one on you? Well, the district attorney is who's supposed to bring allegations of a crime to a grand jury, right? To allow a jury of your peers 
to decide. And listen, it's very easy to get an indictment. The old adage from the New York Supreme Court back in the day is if they want, you could indict a ham sandwich. Grand juries are going to indict whoever you want them to indict. But it's still a step beyond just the district attorney saying, eh, he seems like a bad guy. The district attorney, and this is this is why I hate this stuff, because like this guy Rahimi, as I said, he's a bad hombre. He probably doesn't deserve to be able to have no. a gun. Right? Probably real if, if even work. half if even half of what they're alleging about him is true, he shouldn't have his gun rights. But that's the point. We're sitting we're sitting here talking about this as just allegations. We don't know if he shot up, he was involved in a shooting. Maybe he was wrong place, wrong time. We don't know if he actually hit his significant other. Maybe she's just a, a jilted lover and, and wants to get back at him. We don't know. And until that's those fact patterns are presented in court and he is proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, we will never actually know. And what these red flag orders, these domestic violence prevention order protection orders, as it relates to gun uh, rights, that's very nothing more than the government no longer having to meet that high burden of proof, right? No. It, this is lazy no. prosecuting. If yeah. you know someone's dangerous, charge them with the crime. Don't just take away their gun guns without charging them because that puts us all in danger. What would stop a rogue DA from wanting to go after his political opponents? Just like he, he decides... Someone running for office he doesn't like, right? Yeah. And he thinks they're dangerous because they're talking about a Second Amendment in a way that he doesn't agree. Does that make them dangerous? Do they get a yeah. protective order for that? And could he do that against every opponent that he would come through? I mean, people would, might recognize it, but what would stop it, right? And the process to get rid of the DA, it's got to be difficult. It's got to take oh, yeah. months. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would take years before any of this would would reconcile. And by then, many the of them are election too. is over. Many, huh? many, of the, many of the district attorneys get elected, too, depending on what state you live in. Yeah, right? it would take you'd have to move heaven and earth just to get rid of them. And it's not it's, it's just not, not like it's not a stretch to argue that DA's prosecutors would abuse their power for their own political gain. We just saw this in Georgia. They're looking to indict Trump on racketeering because he was on the phone saying, hey, let's make sure that we don't count fraudulent ballots. They're considering that racketeering. And the prosecutor going after him just sent a fundraising email out saying she's going after Trump. Please donate to my reelection campaign. So the idea that that prosecutor would abuse their power to go after their political opponents, that's on full display. Now we're just trying. Now we're talking about giving also giving them the power to disarm that person so that they have to go through life unable to defend themselves. It's undressing them. I mean, it's taking everything away. They're trying to make life so hard that you don't want to fight. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I mean, fight in a very political way using the law and voting and oh, yeah. don't, don't push nice back because rules. the minute you do, you're going to, you're going to, you look like a bad guy. Come after, yeah. Oh yeah. It, it's obvious what they're, what they're after. Um, and, and they use this language like, well, why would you want a domestic abuser to have a gun? I don't want a domestic abuser to have a gun. If you can prove that he did that, charge him with the crime, charge him. Right. You can indict a ham sandwich, indict the domestic abuser. Right. Charge them. And then when it comes time for bail, say this guy is a danger to society. Let the other mm -hmm. side argue it. And then the judge can decide. The crazy part about these red flag laws is that they are decided. The red flag orders are decided in ex parte proceedings, meaning that the only people in the room deciding it 
are the judge and the prosecutor. The person being disarmed doesn't have the opportunity when it's being decided to present their case. Say, no, Your Honor, I am a good, upstanding citizen. Right? That's an ex parte hearing without one party present. Then months later, you get to go back into court and argue, no, Your Honor, I, I, I really am innocent. But at that point, that judge has already been convinced you're dangerous. So you're no longer able to, it's no longer innocent until proven guilty. This flips that entire concept upside down and you are guilty until proven innocent. And if you don't prove your innocence, if you don't convince the judge that you aren't a danger, just keep renewing it over and over and over again. Over. And the sheriff has to come and vote disarm you. I mean, depending on your, your, your locality, you know, yeah. so what happens when they, they kick in the door and they take all the guns and they just happen to look around and now they can find evidence of something, right? I mean, they, plus you're, you're setting up a situation where you've got the police showing up to take your guns. That's, it's a bad look. I mean, well, it, it causes situations. If the person's just a little unhinged and they think everybody's coming after him, that turns into a, a shoot for lack of a better word. And it's a bad, it's a volatile situation, extremely yeah. dangerous. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a case, unfortunately about this Gary Willis. He lives in uh, Maryland who he, li he lived. He's no longer with us. He was just shot. He was shot and killed a few years ago by police at his door. So they banged on his door, woke him up out of a, a sound sleep. And he answered the door with a gun because he had no idea what was going on. Uh, a confiscation, a red flag confiscation order had been decided without his knowledge. And the police were there to disarm him. So he had no idea what was happening. He answered the door with a gun. The police officer saw the gun, screamed gun. He's again disoriented. He just got woken up by banging on the door. There was a scuffle for his gun. And he was shot and killed. And it turns out, if, if I, my memory serves correctly, it turns out that this was a family member who was disgruntled. There was a family squabble. And the family member had turned him in to have his guns taken away. Not because he was actually dangerous, but because there was a disagreement that had gotten heated between family members. And now he's dead. All because of this BS law. So unfortunately, it's already happened. And, and that's what makes it so scary because what that guy did, you can't even blame him for it. He wakes up in the middle of the night, banging on the door, yet you answer the door with a gun. And when someone starts grabbing for your gun, you don't know why they're doing it, right? Oh, no. You, that's, and if, you're, if you've trained in any way, the moment someone goes for your gun, you, you respond. Yeah. Right? You go through your toolbox of what you know and how to respond with that. And the, for lack of a better word, like saying, the gun is a magnet, right? Everybody, like cops are looking for it, right? They're drawn to it. That is their first reaction. And then when a cop sees a gun, they go into a self-preservation mode. Yeah. Right. And they're going through the law because they're, they're thinking he shouldn't have it now. And they know going into this, quote, he shouldn't have a gun. So already the officer thinks this guy's a danger. Yeah. Because they've been told. They're going into dangerous. the situation with preconceived notions of a kind of guilt. And there's a difference, though. There's a difference between serving a warrant on a known drug den where you know that there's going to be people breaking the law armed. When you pound on that door, the people inside know that they're doing something wrong, right? Whether they're, they're actually guilty or not, right? You can understand how cops would, would presume them to be dangerous sure. because we're raiding a drug den. But in the case of this, 
when someone's just being completely blindsided by it, that, oh, a, a significant under other, a, a jilted lover in, in Colorado, even without these new changes, you can just be an ex-roommate. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Um, these people have no idea what's going on. So it's not even like you can say, oh, well, they know that they're breaking the law. They know what's happening. No, they're completely caught off guard. And, and I'm, I'm shocked more of these situations like what happened in Maryland aren't happening around the country because it's just, it's too dangerous to, to, yeah. to be disarming people without them even knowing what the hell is going on. And out here, I mean, the, just the part where uh, a licensed healthcare provider um, in a lot of hospitals, if there's just a suspicion of any sort of abuse, mm-hmm. they have what they call the obligation to report. And if they don't, they're the, if they don't report you just for something, they're the one that becomes liable in that situation, right? Yeah. So there's the obligation to report. So people are already, in my estimation, reporting it as such just to protect themselves, whether they have any yeah. hint of it, right? They're going to report it because they have to protect their livelihoods. They have to protect themselves. And it's just going to lead to more of these incidents, right? You're, you're going to, the likelihood that there's going to be bad situations that come from this are going to go already through the roof. You know, just one's too many, right? Just one was too many. Yeah. No, but we're going to see it for everybody. He, he may have hit me once back 20 years ago, obligation to report and then boom, red flat. I mean, yeah, I went, uh, I went and took my son. I, I, I remember this. So like it was yesterday, one of my son's first, appointments at the doctor's office. I think he was like a month old, a couple weeks old. And they're asking these rapid firing these questions off. And the doctor asked me, this was a Colorado doctor. Do you have guns in the home? And I said, I'm not, I'm not answering that. And she said, well, just so you know, now that you have kids, make sure all of your guns are locked up. And I said, yeah, I understand that, but he's wrapped like a burrito. <laughs> he can't She's move. Not, he can't anywhere. move. Right? Like right now, right there's different levels of gun safety, right? When he's wrapped like a burrito and can't even lift his head up, putting a gun at the other side of the room is is gun safety, right? Uh, obviously, <laughs> as your kids get older, you have to take more and more steps to make sure they yeah. can't access them. But I, I was always struck by it because that it's not just for like, oh, let's make sure you know that there's gun safety you need to do. They want that box checked so that if they ever get in a position where they think you're dangerous, as you said, they can they can tell a court, no, we know he has guns in the home. Um, his his kid came in with a bruise for for a doctor's appointment. That wasn't me, but just saying hypothetical. Yeah, he yeah. Came with a bruise. Red flag. Go go raid him. Red flag. We think he's dangerous. Red flag. Red flag. And it, it you, they should need to prove more than that to take away your gun rights. Because if it was any other constitutional right on the chopping block, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Like imagine if a doctor could declare you no longer have a right to a jury before your peers, right? Or imagine (laughs) imagine if an ex-roommate could say you're dangerous and all of a sudden you lose your third amendment right and the government can quarter troops in your home. (laughs) This would never stand. Anxiety, right? And you go see a mental health care provider to try to get help for it. They could just automatically red flag you because she may think that you're you're a danger to yourself and other, and that, that may not even be there, right? Yeah. And I I had gone to the doctor here in Colorado, and that was a question in this particular hospital system. They asked me, "Do you have any guns in the house?" And I said, "Ma'am, I will." I refused to answer that question, and she straight up told me, "She's like, that must be a yes." So no, and I kept hearing so. the the right, and that yeah. becomes a record. What people don't realize when you go to a doctor, 
and you go to a hospital, there's a record of what happens. Yep. You know, everything that was in your system, everything that happened to you, every statement that you made, right? That can all be a, a subpoenaed and, and brought to you. So it's like, it doesn't even have to be. You want to get health care yeah. if they're worried about it. It doesn't even have to be justified. It, it could just be a situation where they have you in the house. They know that you own guns and they just they just prescribed you a medication that maybe has a, a potential side effect of you of putting you in a fugue state. Let's just say a hypothetical. Yeah. Right. Well, then all of a sudden they say, oh, you have guns. All of a sudden you're no longer trustworthy. I mean, that that's mm -hmm. what's happening in these blue states without a doubt, which is why we have to fight back against this so much. And the really sad thing is that we've seen in, we, we've seen what happens when this kind of stuff is forced on veterans. They don't oh, yeah. go and see mental health professionals because no, they're they terrified that the mental health professionals are going to take away their guns. So what happens? These veterans, these disabled veterans, these, these, these veterans who are dealing with, with the mental traumas of war, they're left to just fend for themselves because they're too afraid to go to a mental health professional because they don't want to lose gun rights for the rest of their life. And we see it in the suicide rates mm -hmm. of veterans. That's and it's shameful. And you would think that the people who care so much about health care would recognize that this is uh, more harmful than, than helpful. But unfortunately... Those are the kinds of people that they they are more than okay with, um, yeah. Taking their own lives. Oh. Hey, here in Colorado, we quick uh, kick all the homeless vets out of the hotel rooms to make room for migrants. So yeah, well, that doesn't surprise just me. Shows you who, just shows you who they care more about and who runs the country. Yeah. Well, we we are almost out of time. Any final words, Josh, as we wrap up this episode? Yeah, I just I have a right to bear arms, and they. They try to create every dirty trick, every law to try to prevent me from exercising it. And ultimately, they want the punishment to put me in jail so I can never exercise it again. So I don't even want to talk about it with people. Yeah. Right? That's their goal. They're looking to take it completely away from you. And it, it, it makes me sick. So. Yeah, no, it's 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 infuriating. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of The Right Guys. If you like the show, make sure you check us out. We go live on YouTube and Rumble. Um, we also publish the audio version of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and Podbean. So make sure you subscribe. Even if you watch the video, please do also subscribe on one of those platforms. Set it to auto-download so that we can prove those numbers and bring on more advertisers. That's going to be it for this edition of the Right Guys Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. I'm Josh Hammerling. And remember, everyone, the fight to take back our country is not over. I'm going to go back to it. But the only way we win is if we all stand up and fight together. Have a good week.